This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. From the corporate office to the cab of a truck, they're here to inspire and empower women in all professions. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in trucking, in the trades, and every profession. We tackle all kinds of topics, and we work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley. And I'm Kathy. No topic is taboo on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics. And we like to feature experts, champions, and celebrities who can assist women in being the very best they can be. Being in a relationship can be difficult. Over time, couples can become distant and disconnected. All humans have to feel connected or their relationships will fall apart. There are ways to cultivate a long-term relationship so that it can thrive. Dr. Catherine Ford is a psychiatrist who helps couples stay open to each other by cultivating present moment awareness. Dr. Ford works with companies and organizations as a consultant with Upstart Logic. She's taught in a variety of settings, including the Stanford Continuing Studies Program, Stanford School of Medicine, Santa Clara University, and Sophia, formerly the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology. She helps couples shift their dynamics and turn their difficulties into stronger, lasting connections. Her practice integrates neuropsychology, mindfulness, and multiple therapy models that include being attuned, having hard conversations, mood management, self-compassion, and aperture awareness, which is the felt sensation of availability for connection. Dr. Ford is with us today to talk about what she does to help couples and explain all of this. Welcome, Dr. Ford. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. It's exciting to be talking to you. Thank you for joining us. My God, it took us a bit, but we're here. Yay. Yes, Yes, absolutely. So, Dr. Ford, I thought we could begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, There are probably a couple of things that are important that kind of led to my work and my preoccupation with relationships and making them better. Um, I've noticed that a lot of people come out of childhood or during their childhood, there's a particular thing that kind of catches their attention. And it could be anything from visual stuff to wanting to be on the track team, whatever. For me, I think the thing that kind of captured my attention was watching my parents interact, other couples interact. And I think that what I was struck by was the intensity of how important it was. It seemed like this was a really important thing to them next to the fact that it often wasn't that easy for them to get what they needed from each other, from the conversation, et cetera. And so I was pretty struck by both of those things, how important it was and how difficult it was. Uh, The next step was to start to study psychology in college. And then as I wound up in, um, in California for my psychiatry residency, Because it was in California, I was both studying my usual psychiatry curriculum, which includes a lot of uh, Western psychological approaches to things, but also I was quickly exposed to things like yoga and meditation and things that had to do with training one's attention into the present. And when I started uh, working, those two things started to weave themselves together and then about 20 or more years ago, I decided that that going kind of going back to my early fascination with couples, I really wanted to only work with couples. And I, st- I headed towards working with couples in a way that really emphasizes what's going on in the moment between them as as compared to some approaches that are a little bit more historically oriented. Interesting. Wow. So What actually happens in a relationship in terms of communication? I think things just kind of happen a lot of times on the fly, and uh, people don't necessarily know how to communicate with each other. Yeah, that last thing you said, people don't necessarily know how to communicate, is absolutely true. 
Um, we sort of assume that because we know how to talk and use the English language, we kind of don't realize that when we're talking about important or hard things with people that we're close to, intimate with, who matter to us a lot, that, that that's really a different category of thing. That's not the same thing as telling, um, you know, the the helper in the cafeteria how you want your eggs. That's really a different order of thing. And we fail to really appreciate um, how important it is, how hard it is, and to realize that there's a whole set of skills that we're going to have to acquire. It's not like we have to have those skills on board already, uh, either in, in our early relationships or even later. We just have to be aware of the learning process that that we're going to need to be really open to learning how to do this and you know have a a bit of humility about that that we're going to make some mistakes and you know we're going to clean those up and then go on to learn to do it better you know it's interesting it seems like with humans we have a hard time communicating animals maybe have just kind of a set rule uh, in their species anyway they know how to communicate right Humans don't, and th there seems to be a lot of deception with humans too uh -huh, in communication. Uh, -huh. uh, yeah, that's an interesting comparison because, of course, some of our communication is very related to the ways that animals communicate. Um, probably one of the things to think about there is that we we've gotten pretty um, heavy on the element of thinking about things and analyzing things and being very mental, which of course animals don't have to deal with that. And it actually gets in the way a lot. I watch couples a lot when they get in trouble with each other in the midst of a conversation. One of the things they do that doesn't help that much is they start to overthink it. And they start to go to, what does this have to do with my childhood? What does this have to do with attachment styles, which is a kind of a newer thing in psychology these days? they start to try to figure out what's going on in the abstract. And actually, although that can be useful, I tell people it's a little bit like taking out the map while you're driving. A map can be very useful, but if you really need to look at the map, you need to pull over to do that. I don't, I'm, I'm thinking of Kathy, I'm not sure that applies to trucking, but it might. But at any rate, I often think in terms of driving analogies and what I tell people is, when you're having an important conversation, you need to keep your eyes on the road. That's the way you're going to do do your driving well and do it safely. And if you need to check about navigation, you need to pull over and look at that, which is analogous to applying a model like I'm this way because my mother was this way, whatever. That's, those thoughts can be useful. But, but when you're in the conversation, the most important thing is to know what's going on right now inside of me and inside of you. And the good news is we, our brains are actually very well wired to sense that immediately. And that's, that's an aspect of us that actually is a little bit more like animals in that if we, if we know how to be sensitive to it, there's a sensitivity there that's actually quite amazing and powerful, which is that we do know how to tune in very directly to our own openness and the openness of the other person. And what that the importance of that is that actually is the most important thing to be tuned into when you're talking to somebody. Is that where... For instance, when you know somebody really well, when you're in a very intimate relationship, you can finish their sentences. Is is that the same kind of technique? Oh, that's a that no, but but it's it's not surprising that you that you put those two things together. So let me. So first of all, one of the things that's kind of related to what you just said is the research shows us that actually we listen less well to people we know really well than to people we don't know. And that has to do with filling in the blanks too much. So it can be kind of nice that you know somebody well enough that you can kind of anticipate uh, what things mean to them, what they're thinking, what they're wanting at the moment. That's an actually really important kind of tuning in. But it's largely based on extrapolating from past knowledge. And that's not the same thing to, as an 
um, in the moment awareness of right now, how open am I? And right now, how open are you? And in fact, what you want to do is not become too, uh, too preoccupied with thinking about, well, I'm pretty sure that what you're going to say next is this, because that's what you said the last 10 times we talked about this topic. That'll actually get in the way of something new happening, especially around topics that have been difficult, where you've kind of gotten bogged down. If you, if you, relate too much to the old conversations and the the per, the person's way of talking about it in the past you're going to simply repeat old patterns you're going to almost find yourself in a script where you know what you're going to say next you know what they're going to say next it's it's all been said before it's not going to go anywhere except round in circles what you want instead is to check in with yourself am i open right now am i feeling so anxious about how badly this conversation is going to go that I'm actually closed down. I'm in a negative mindset about it. And, and if so, what can I do about that? Because that's, that's the recipe for an important conversation, not going, not going well. So you really want to be looking for a kind of openness that actually doesn't presume that, you know, what's going to happen next, but rather has you feeling you know, that feeling of openness has a lot of different ways to get to that. But, you know, some synonyms for it that are kind of physical are when people say, I feel really calm, I feel really relaxed right now, I feel loose. That's all, those are all words that relate to a feeling of openness. On the other hand, if you're closed down, you might feel tight, cold, little jittery. Those are all tell you you're your your safety system has gone on high alert and you're actually not available for a real conversation. And that's what I'm talking about. Is that why and that's, by the way, that is, you mentioned aperture. That's what I call aperture. Aperture is simply a word I use for this kind of openness to, to oneself, to each other, to the world. How available are we for, for a new and immediate experience? Which... When you think about it, and I think a lot of women will say that with guys, the joke is guys just shut women out, uh -huh. you know, and they don't respond. Uh, yes. They're not in the moment. It doesn't seem like they're open. And of course, right. then then it can escalate into a an argument, which yeah. I, that's not open at all, because then you're in fight flight and things just uh, come out of your mouth without even thinking. Yeah. And it just escalates. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that all of us can close down to anybody. And yes, I think guys can be particularly intimidated by the women that they care about. They're intimidated by how important that other person is to them. They're intimidated just by the sheer fact of, you know, the kinds of knowledge and power that women tend to be a little more tuned into than guys. And so I think guys can often feel at a bit of a disadvantage, especially in a conversation. Um, you know, for all that we've discovered that women can do a lot of things that men do and do them similarly or better and vice versa. So we've kind of finally softened our rigidity around what gender means. But it is true that typically women are, know their way around emotional territory and linguistic territory, maybe a little bit with more ease than, than guys. And that can be, you know, fear producing when, when, you, when you're with somebody that matters to you. Interesting observation. I want to delve more into that in our next segment. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors. Coming up. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you're enjoying this informative episode of Women Road Warriors, I wanted to mention Kathy and I explore all kinds of topics that will power you on the road to success. We feature a lot of expert interviews. Plus, we feature celebrities and women who've been trailblazers. 
please check out our podcast at womenroadwarriors.com and click on our episodes page. We're also available wherever you listen to podcasts on all the major podcast channels like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon Music, Audible, you name it. Check us out and bookmark our podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, and other sites. And tell others about us. We want to help as many women as possible. We've been talking with Dr. Catherine Ford on Women Road Warriors. She teaches couples how to stay connected and communicate. She's had some very interesting insights that we've been discussing. Dr. Ford, would you say women are just better at conversation than men in many cases? Or at least uh, being good and active listeners? Yes, I think so. Um, Ages ago, when I was in a training group with a therapist and there was a there was a guy therapist in that group and he was talking about his current relationships and said to the leader he says i just don't know how i'm going to learn this stuff about relationship and the the male teacher said well you should probably do what i did find a really good woman and learn from her mm-hmm. and uh, you know that needs to be taken with a grain of salt it doesn't mean there are no men that are really good at this but by and large this kind of historically going way back to our hunter-gatherer days, um, the abilities to stay well-connected through intricate conversations was a little bit more the purview of what was going on with women um, and the way that they coordinated their activities than with men who often coordinated their activities a little bit more silently, especially if what they were doing was hunting. You know, I think we're never given an instruction manual And when I think back on some of my early relationships with guys, it it was almost, there were times when I'd step back and and think, is he a space alien? He just doesn't seem to be on the same planet as I am. Um, Right. And and I would have to figure out how to reach the guy, communicate. It it just seemed like we were speaking different languages and I had to get attuned to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, you know, in addition to and beyond the gender differences, I mean, the fact is that most people that find themselves in a relationship find themselves with at least the equivalent of two different dialects, if not two different languages. The ways that they want to, that people want to communicate are quite variable. And so, so, you know, a person who really prefers to use very few words and to kind of tone it down emotionally and, um, you know, that style, maybe a little quieter might find themselves in a relationship with somebody who's got a very fire, fiery temperament, likes to talk a lot and loudly and frequently. And, and both of those people can be pretty attached to their way of having a conversation because it's what feels natural. And you can even assume that say actually may be better. What happens as people start to become a couple is they need to to realize that in order to communicate well, they're now going to have to figure out what style of communicating works for them as a pair, as a team, as a couple. And that's going to require a little bit of retooling and learning on both of their parts so that they develop a style that's uniquely theirs as a couple. And uh, as they do that, then things start to get a little easier. Sounds like your technique is something that should be a requirement before people become a couple or before they get married. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all should be required to learn about these things earlier on than we than we do. I think the the skills of conversation and the skills of um, relationship are are not not well enough taught to us when we're when we're younger and when we're in school. Um, It's not it should be a required course and it isn't. But that doesn't mean you can't learn it later. Um, you just have to be pretty intentional about that. And you have to realize that that spending, you know, sometimes people say, I can't believe it's this hard or I can't believe it takes this long to have this conversation about this thing. And, and what's left out of that is realizing you're not just trying to get from point A to point B to talk about a topic that every time you have a conversation that's a little bit challenging, the other agenda in the conversation is that this is a chance to learn this stuff better. And so if you understand that you don't end up feeling so confused and sometimes resentful that it's hard, that it takes extra time, 
I mean, this is the legitimate agenda of people in relationships is a lot of learning. And in fact, when people say, why is it so hard? It's not so hard because somebody's broken or because you ended up with the wrong person often. It's hard because a whole lot of our adult learning goes on in, in our important relationships. And that is that fact is very much not emphasized enough and not understood enough that we're we don't learn everything between the ages of zero and 18. We continue to learn our whole lifetimes if we're willing to and alert to that. But I think at the age of 18, a lot of us think, hey, I, I know it all. I got uh, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Especially, well, when they're dealing with their parents, you know, you're kind of like, wow, my parents really right. don't know anything. And then, of course, a couple of right. years later, you're like, well, maybe they know a little bit more. Right, right. And then, then you're amazed at, wow, how did they survive? Life's yeah. kind of tough. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And of course, learning about relationships is also hard because it might be the most private thing of our lives. It might be the thing that we guard with secrecy more than anything else. If you think about it, uh, often people are willing to talk to you about ju just about anything except what goes on inside of their couple. So yeah. the, the good stuff, the important stuff is happening behind closed doors. It's like a magic act and the, and the secrets to it are all hidden. And so we don't get a chance to learn about relationships as much as we need to from just watching other people work out their stuff. Um, most people don't do that very publicly. You know, and I think that there's an element with some people too. intimate relationships. There's a lot of risk there. You're really bearing your soul to people, to the yes. other person. You're very vulnerable, you know, obviously with sexual intimacy as well as communication. And sexual intimacy is also communication. But yes. uh, you really are, you've got to have a lot of trust there. Mm -hmm. And when you encounter someone who, say, is a narcissist, who is not who you thought that person was, right. that really can mm -hmm. be awful. Uh, there's no communication there, and you have to really step back. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've encountered this, too, with couples where it's, it's a toxic situation. Yeah, and I heard Kathy mm-hmming, and I wondered if she had something she could put in there <laughs> yeah, before yeah, I put it in my two cents. Oh, well, no, it's just because um, I was married to a narcissist and um, I uh, I didn't know that. I was 23 and young, right. having no uh, personal coaching as, right. as, as a teenager into what a healthy relationship was. I mean, I come from a very abusive background. Um, so my I had zero self-esteem to begin with and not knowing how to communicate or, you know, I, I was, I've never had a voice in my own story. So, right. you know, trying to do the right thing in my first marriage, you know, I was pregnant, young, right. all this stuff and trying to communicate, not knowing I was with a narcissist. I didn't even know what that word meant. Of course. <laughs> and recognizing that it didn't matter what I, I just stopped trying to communicate at the at the end like, uh -huh, because uh -huh. everything I would try to say would get flipped around and turned around and I'm thinking well, I, well, I didn't say that and so I just it all that did was after the after that marriage was over I, and I was smart enough to get out after four years uh -huh. um it still didn't it all it did was teach me to not say anything right I, because i already had low self-esteem i already yes. had yes um, all these inner internal conflicts that right. i didn't know how to communicate right and this is going to sound awful but in the coming relationships which i had after that one which weren't very many but the i used alcohol <laughs> right as uh, uh liquid courage <laughs> Yes, yeah. well, that, yeah. that's, you know, that's not an atypical pattern and what you're describing. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, um, you know, there's a, there have been things written and I think increasingly lately people are very interested in the kind of relationship you're describing and, and relationships that fit with the pattern of what we call narcissism. And, you know, one of the ways to think about that and maybe one of the things to know about it to kind of figure out, well, am I in that kind of relationship? Because, of course, narcissism, like anything else, is not a black or white thing. It's on a gray scale. So when you're in a relationship with somebody that you start to suspect is a narcissist, uh, you want to figure out, well, is this impossible or just hard? And one of the things that to look for is I often tell when people ask me, well, 
you know, are we well matched? Uh, what do you need to be well matched about to be a good couple? You can be different about a whole lot of things. The thing that you need to be similar about, and this is true of relationships that include a lot of narcissism as well as others, you need to look for somebody who's similar to you about their ability to learn and their willingness to learn. And one of the things that characterizes narcissism that makes it so deadly for relationships is that often what goes with that is an unwillingness and an inability to learn. And when you're in a relationship with anybody, whether you think of them as a narcissist or some other set of problems, with somebody who's not that interested in learning, it's pretty hard to go anywhere from there. Even if the relationship yeah. starts out pretty good, um, a relationship that starts out pretty good needs to then proceed to start to be a relationship where two people are learning together. And if one of you is really open to learning and interested and the other one isn't, that's not going to work out well. And um, so that's one of the things that people who are concerned they're in that kind of relationship might look at is, in addition to the various things you notice about this person that are difficult, do they seem to be opening up to learning about themselves and what goes on with the two of you? Or is that a closed door? And if it's a closed mm -hmm. door, there's not much you can do except uh, figure out how to take care of yourself. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Trucking Moves America Forward, or TMAF, is building a positive image of trucking by telling the story of the hardworking drivers and industry professionals who support the industry. And you can be a part of it. Learn more about TMAF and how you can join and be a part of the industry movement working to build a strong image of trucking by visiting TMAF's website at truckingmovesamerica.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our latest channel, TikTok. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're talking with Dr. Catherine Ford about how couples can stay connected and communicate effectively. The ability and willingness to learn is something that was pointed out in the previous segment. You know, that's so very true. There's so many complicated things we need to learn in relationships. And sometimes we just don't get it. You know, when I when I figured it out, and um, well, I didn't know because I still didn't figure out I was a narcissist. I just knew that everything it was was really bad. And I said, okay, I'm not choosing to live my life like this. So I left after four years. And it's really interesting because after 30 years, he's still the same. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Still yeah. the same. There's no interest in changing. No interest in trying to to, to talk yeah. to you know. And I'm like, oh my god. Yes. But in in also saying that the the dis different the distance that I've personally come and grown in right. my relationships, it took me um to the age of 40 when I crashed and burned with you know losing my nursing career and ended up going to I, I was a really bad alcoholic and um I went to a treatment center for women called Wellspring. And you what you did is you lived there for a year, you stepped away from life. And you unlearned everything that you were taught. And then you right. kind of figured out who you were, right? Yeah. And then you had to, I had to learn what I liked, what I didn't, because I was so brainwashed mm -hmm. since childhood. So it, it, was, it right. was quite the process. It took me a total of two years of being in this, in this treatment center. But uh -huh. the best part about it was that Monday to Friday, you had therapy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I took, I, I, this is sad to say, but I learned about boundaries. At mm -hmm. the age of 40, I had to ask my counselor, what does that mean? Because right. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know I could say no. Right. And I right. didn't realize that I could set boundaries. I, I, I had, I, I honestly, it was so, a, such a foreign concept in my mind that when I started a relationship um, while I was in treatment, my counselor um, baby stepped me into what a relationship was. <laughs> Right? Mm -hmm. And she would purposely make me cancel a point, uh, cancel dates and, you know, stand up for myself and learn to take care of me and not that, not him, right? Okay. That I yeah. come first that, and to recognize that and what a real conversation, you know, voice my concerns. And so it, I tell you, 
it's uh we were married uh, i was with that fellow for what eight years and um i think it was the best thing for me to to have started the relationship in there with the assistance of a counselor that i could learn how to talk how to communicate because i i didn't i had no idea right and so luckily i was with a, a really kind gentle um soul who was so patient and loving and understanding and so we it was easy for us to to talk and he would actually listen to what i had to say but it, it was a challenge you know today we're still friends uh even though we've been apart for four years we're still really good friends and we can still communicate and i think um i haven't started a new relationship since him because i needed to take kathy time but in the coming relationship um, everything that I've learned, and I'm also 54, I'm at a different age, right? So um, I'm more able to take care of my needs, right? And recognize that. But mo a lot of women don't. A lot, they don't, they're so focused on being such a caregiver that they yeah. forget. Sure. Would you say that that's part of the problem in, in terms of communication and relationships? Uh, there, there's so much caregiving going on and maybe the, the woman is taking the role of a mother and, and ah, yeah. And just kind yeah, of that, assuming that. that, that the, sure. Yeah. I think that's still a pretty common pattern um, for, for all, all relationships will feel a pull in that direction. Cause we have so much history of women doing that. And uh, you know, the, I often tell people, being unselfish in a relationship is not the same thing as taking care of the relationship at all. There are times that you need to be unselfish and generous. And there are other times that you need to, as Kathy said, stand up for yourself and make sure that your needs are attended to and met. And in a good relationship, there's a back and forth of that. And the two people, what they learn to do is they especially at all those moments where one wants one thing and wants, one wants the other, they learn to figure out what they as a couple need to, need to feature in that decision. Um, maybe, you know, one person wants to go to the mountains for vacation and the other person wants to go to the ocean. Maybe the person that wants to go to the mountains, it really matters a lot. Maybe this is a very big deal. Maybe the person that prefers going to the ocean this particular year, not such a big deal. And so at that moment, they can figure out that the person that likes the ocean needs to let the other person have the say. And that ability as a couple, as a team is really important. I'm imagining that with truckers, maybe there's a similar thing of figuring out who's who's ready to drive and who's a little tired or, or something like that. And, and by doing that kind of teamwork, you get to better solutions. You don't want to, you want, you don't want any one person to end up overstretched in a direction of being generous, being the caretaker. And yes, often the women, the woman is pulled in that direction and couples have to learn about that. Sure. And you talk about cultivating present moment awareness as part of this communication. I don't see a lot of people living in the present moment today. Mm. I mean, they're all stuck on their phones and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've seen yeah, them walking right. around, you know, in major urban areas and they almost run into each other. And it's yeah. amazing they can cross the street without getting hit by a car. Um, yeah. It's not a skill that seems to be getting better with human beings here. No, not particularly. We, I think we're getting worse at it. And, uh, you know, we have the skill of being in the present moment is something you do have to cultivate and value to cultivate, um, you know, long time ago. Uh, as a species, we figured out that the ability to be in the there and then, meaning to imagine things that weren't actually in the present moment and in the current situation, was very valuable to us in terms of planning and other survival skills. And we got we got too good at it. And we lost, therefore, the ability to just pay attention to what's happening right now. Then you go to relationships and actually it turns out the ability to pay attention to what's happening right now is, I would argue, the most important ability. And to do that, it is it is possible to retrain yourself to kind of turn that on when you need to, because we don't need it at all, at all times. Sometimes for certain aspects of our work, we are working with our mental functions and with planning functions, et cetera. 
But there are other times where we need to quiet that, quieten that down and instead be just very aware of what's happening right now. And you can learn that. And there's lots of courses now that teach mindfulness. Um, lots of schools teach mindfulness to the children. Lots of educational centers and lots of lots of um, healthcare systems now offer short courses in mindfulness, which means helping you to train your attention to be fully present right now. And of course, it's a it's a skill that's very related to being in touch with yourself, which of course is the starting place for for everything that goes on in relationships. What are the skills that couples really need to communicate well? Uh, you talk about aperture awareness. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I was going to ask that same thing. Yeah. What is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So aperture awareness, as I said, aperture is simply a word I use for opening. Aperture awareness means your awareness of how open you are to contact. And as I said, that awareness is a direct felt sensation. Think of it this way. When if I look up now at the window and I see the tree, I don't see the tree by stopping to analyze. Well, let's see branches, green leaves blowing around. Oh, that must be a tree. That takes far too long. I look up, I see it immediately. I know it's a tree. Our ability to sense openness in ourself and another person is like that. We don't we don't know it by figuring it out. In fact, if we try to figure it out, it will get in the way. We know it by starting to just pay attention to what's there. Most people, if I say, if I'm in a conversation with them and I say, how open are you right now? Usually pretty instantly, uh, an impression of that comes to mind of like, yeah, I'm pretty open right now. I'm enjoying this conversation with you, et cetera. Or it, what might come up is, I'm not open at all. I really don't like what you just said. It hurt my feelings. I'm closing down. So it's that kind of thing. It's actually pretty simple and something that's already kind of in us. We often don't know it's there because we have failed to pay attention to it because we don't know what to do with it. And that comes down to this thing of our mind is busy elsewhere rather than noticing right now I'm closed or I'm open. So that's what aperture awareness means is I'm aware of whether or not I'm open and whether or not you're open. It's related to another term that we use a lot when we say, I feel defensive. I feel defensive is another way to say I'm closed to you right now. Um, I prefer to talk about openness and closedness and aperture than to talk about defensiveness because when I hear the word defensiveness, what comes up for me is something that's kind of like a wall. It's kind of solid. It's not moving. I'm either going to have to go away from it or punch through it. Whereas aperture evokes something that's more fluid and dynamic, which is more what's going on. We can be very defensive one moment and the next minute, if the person that across from us smiles at us or says, oh, gee, I'm sorry, it looks like that hurt your feeling, we might be wide open two seconds later. And so our, our aperture, our openness is like that. It's constantly changing. And therefore, I think we need to use language that reminds us this is something that's in flux. And if I'm a little bit closed down right now, what do I need to open up? And of course, that question is important because often what we're aware of is how do I get the other person to open up? And the answer to that is figure out how to be open yourself because we uh, the other thing about to know about our openness, in addition to the fact that we can sense it directly and know about it pretty easily. The other thing to know about it is that it's very uh, what we call resonant, meaning my openness will tend to make you more open. It doesn't mean definitely you're going to be open if I'm open, but but it influences we influence each other. Likewise, if I'm really closed down and defensive, as I said, it's going to be harder for you to be open in that conversation. And so when I'm sitting there thinking, God, I just don't know how to get this person to listen to me. They're so closed down. First thing you should do is check in with yourself. How open am I? What you often find is you're kind of nervous about this conversation. And so you're behaving in ways that are signaling the other person, this is not a totally safe space. And so they're closing down and the more they close down, the more you close down and pretty soon you're both very closed down. And your leverage about that is in figuring out how can you help yourself be open? 
Um, and that goes to things you were asking about, what are the conversational skills that, that couples need to know? They need to know how to, to that, that anytime something doesn't feel good in a conversation, the place to look is how open are we? And if the answer is not very, the place to look to get reopening is in the direction of um, reassuring each other about whatever's going on. I might need to say to you, you know, I'm scared that you're not going to like me talking about going to the mountains for a vacation. And if you could just reassure me that we're going to at least have a good conversation about this, that would help. That signals the other person that this is not a totally closed situation, but that the two of you need to adjust something. And so the other person might say, of course, I'll have a conversation with you about this. That's what I was trying to do. And then you might both of you open up a little bit more. So we often need to reassure each other about our intentions, about our value of each other. The reassurance sometimes is as simple as I care about you. I care about this conversation. I'm going to do the best I can. Help me do that. And um, to remember that this is a teamwork. Uh, if you fail, you're going to fail together. If you succeed, you're going to succeed together. And how can you help each other succeed, especially with difficult conversations? Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in Northern Alberta, Canada. She's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life. She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. Staying in the moment, staying open, and practicing reciprocity or give and take and open communication in a relationship are some of the things that we've been exploring with Dr. Catherine Ford. She helps couples shift their dynamics and turn their difficulties into stronger, lasting connections. You know, open communication really is important, especially when couples don't see eye to eye. That's huge, don't you think? One thing that I've found with difficult conversations, especially coming from such an abusive background and, you know, struggling with my own internal processes, um, when I knew I would have a, a difficult conversation, I would write it out first. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. what a great tool that was. Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah. it just because I would get it out. I knew what I wanted to say. And. Mm -hmm. Um, when the, when the time for the conversation come, would come often, I would shut down. I, I would get so intimidated, mm -hmm. right. Out of fear of, um, being, you know, yelled at or, or whatever that my brain would shut off. So instead, at least I would have a sideline of, Hey, this is what I wanted to say. <laughs> right? right. So don't go right. anywhere. Hang on. Right. Once I would get uh, control of my emotions again, right. And mm -hmm. be, being able to actually, uh, focus on what I needed to say, well, then at least I have it written down because otherwise my mind would go blank and then I'd forget everything. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good tool. And often when people are too frightened to talk to each other, they do need to write to each other a little bit ahead of time to kind of break the ice and, and reassure each other, look, I mean well here, this is what I need to say. Help me talk about it. Yeah. Now being open, you're also being mindful of 
how your partner communicates because some people are more verbal, some people mm-hmm. are more visual, auditory. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to know how to adjust to that, don't you? Yes, exactly. And that's what I was talking about, about you're going to have different styles and insisting the other person do it your way, which we're kind of prone to do, um, is a recipe for non-success. What you need to realize is they have a different nervous system. They have a different way of communicating. And somehow you have to figure out together, well, if uh, a very good example of this, it comes up a lot, is there are people that speak really easily, fluidly, and quickly, and they're quick off the mark. You ask a question to a group, and there are always one or two people that right away start talking and giving their version of the answer. Then there are other people that don't as easily put their words together and offer them. And so very often in a couple, you'll have a talker and a, and a not talker. And if you don't address that, what you end up with is an exaggeration of that. Over time, that becomes a relationship where one person does all the talking and one person does all the listening. And the talker ends up, you know, articulating everything. And that's not really good because, you know, when we say two heads are better than one. That There's a lot of truth in that. And in a relationship, you want to be benefiting by the input of both people. If you have a talker and a Mm non-talker, the only way that's going to happen is if the talker learns to speak in short sound bites and then sit back and wait. And often talkers don't realize that they stop talking and the other person does not start talking. And they think that means they're supposed to resume talking. They just automatically go there. Oh, there's a blank here. Let me fill it. Whereas what they need to learn is my partner needs a few minutes to process what's going on, to collect themselves and to figure out what they want to say. Let me just sit back and wait. And the waiting will feel a little strange to this automatic talker. But in the end, again, it's a habit that you can change, a habit that you can learn to do differently. And if you can learn to just bide your time and wait, Often what you'll find out is that this non-talkative partner of yours actually has quite a few interesting things to say that they need to say, that you need to hear, that will benefit the conversation. And so you need to slow the pace down and, and allow for silences, which allow this other person to participate in a very different way. All of this is so fascinating, Dr. Ford. And Oh, my God. Is I it know ever? <laughs> there are people that are going to want to ask you questions. Do you counsel people remotely? Do they come into your office? Can people reach out to you? Uh, yes, there's a couple of different ways they can reach out to me. Um, first of all, if they just want to check in a little bit more on what I'm thinking and what I'm writing, they can go to either my website, which is katherinefordmd.com, and a whole lot of stuff can be found there, including um, at some point soon a a link to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll also find, I write frequently articles for Psychology Today, so they'll find uh, links to that. So that's one way to get a few more um, of my ideas to work with. Um, I also, um, a couple times a year, teach uh, courses for couples uh, with Stanford University through their continuing studies program. And so you can go to um, Stanford continuing studies um, and and look for my courses there. Or when I'm, when I'm about to give a course, that will be um, listed on my website also. So all those things are possibilities. <clears throat> if they want to consult with me um, in person, like individually, um, I do have a private practice. Um, however, that in, in terms of a long-term piece of work is only available to people that are residents of California because that's where I'm licensed. Um, I do make myself available for shorter consults that are basically just coaching sessions. Um, and I can do that on a one or two time basis for people that are that are not located in California. Um, and again, all of my contact information will be found on my website. And what is your website again? Website is katherinefordmd.com. This is tremendous. And I can imagine you've got a really high success rate 
to the people who listen to you. Once again, that's part of communication. They have to listen mm-hmm. to you and the, to make their change. But your insight's just terrific. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be to be asked such good questions that have enabled me to talk about some things that I think are pretty common things on on everybody's mind. These things, the things we've been talking about, inevitably come up in every relationship. They certainly do, and communication is is one of the biggest things that will derail a relationship. Like he's Absolutely. not listening people, to me, you know. Yeah, people fail to understand just how much of their relationship is going to happen in conversation, even for people that think, well, I'm not that talkative. The the stuff that forms the connections that you're looking for, by and large, happens in verbal exchanges. And so even if you feel like, well, I'm not that good at that, you can get a little bit better at it. And even getting a little bit better at it gives you a little bit more of the kind of connection you're looking for where you feel listened to, understood, and worked with. Yep. Practice makes perfect. No doubt about that. One one last thing. And what I want to say is for, for what I've understood at this point in my life is that the relationship with myself enables me to do better in relationships with other people. Because yeah. now I'm at, I'm at a point in life where I need to be able to recognize who I am and what I have to offer and what I have to say and hold my ground, stand on my own two feet and vocalize the importance of um, what it is I, I want to communicate. Yes. Right. So I think that's a, that's a vital important for people out there just to, to take that time for you to figure out who you are, what you want, right. what you like, yeah. what you don't like, and yes. you know, not just, not just latch on to somebody because you yes. need that. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. That, that's well said, Kathy, and a very important reminder to people that, Times where you're not with somebody are not necessarily not about relationship. They're about a different phase of getting ready to be in a relationship that actually is going to serve you because you need some time just to know yourself and be ready. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Ford. This has been terrific. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you again, Dr. Ford. It's been an honor. We hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. And if you want to hear more episodes of Women Road Warriors or learn more about our show, be sure to check out womenroadwarriors.com. And please follow us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at sjohnson at womenroadwarriors.com. Mm-hmm.